more than 4,000 graduate students in over 80 different programs of study. You guys are sort of all over the world, it seems like. It's kind of mind-blowing when you think about it. Here on Inspiration Dissemination. But there's actually photographs of this data set stretching over a much longer period of time. They're now converted into basically mathematical shapes, and we can now analyze the statistics of this shape. Good evening, listeners. Good evening, listeners. Good evening, listeners. You're tuned in to 88.7 KBVR Corvallis. It's time for another episode of Inspiration Dissemination. I'm Lisa Hildebrand. And I'm Joseph Valencia. At Oregon State, we have more than 4,000 graduate students and postdoctoral fellows in over 80 different programs of study. And here on Inspiration Dissemination, we feature the research and personal stories of one of these students each week. If you're a graduate student or a postdoc at OSU and you're interested in coming on the show or you just want to find out more about all the awesome things going on at Oregon State, check out our blog at blogs.oregonstate.edu slash inspiration, where you can find all about our up-and-coming guests, and links to our Twitter and podcast pages. This episode of Inspiration Dissemination is recorded live, and usually at this point um, we would be introducing our guest of the week, but unfortunately we had a last-minute cancellation. Um, So Joseph and I do not have a guest in the booth with us. It's just... Me and Joseph. (laughs) Um, But obviously we didn't want to um, cancel the show completely. We love doing inspiration dissemination. And um, when Joseph and I brainstormed what we could talk about, we had a couple of different ideas, but ultimately we settled on one. Do you want to? Yeah. So it's a topic that's been on a lot of people's minds lately, a topic that's been in the news a lot, I'm sure. Um, something you've probably been exposed to just by living in the year 2023. (laughs) Um, But we're going to dig into it a little bit more. And that is the concept of AI um, and especially ChatGPT, which is um, particular AI software that kind of broke through this year into public consciousness. (laughs) I don't know why, but I feel like ChatGPT should be accompanied by like some sort of intense, maybe sinister music. Sinister music. (laughs) Depending on who you ask, (laughs) (laughs) as we might get into. Yes, I Um, think, yeah, we will get into that. Yeah, so some background is that I am uh, a CS PhD student here um, in computer science, um, and I kind of broadly work in artificial intelligence. I'm on the pretty applied side of artificial intelligence, so I work in computational biology um, using... AI-like techniques to dig into some of the the science of RNA sequences. Um, so I'm I'm in a different sphere of it than what you've probably heard of, listeners, as um, mainly being about chatbots, um, problems having to do with with responding and manipulating text. Um, maybe you've seen pretty images generated from prompts. Um, so these are kind of like the core core application areas that most people think of as AI. So I work on um, a different set of that, but I've had, through that, I've gained a lot of exposure to the technologies that are 
underpinning Jet, Chat GPT, but Chat GPT is just on a larger scale than mm. than could happen in an academic lab, which is one of the dynamics going on. Um, just as an aside, um, if any of you are interested in learning more specifically about what Joseph does, he was a guest on the show yes. in April of 2022, um, just a year ago. Um, the show uh, episode is called The Rigmarole of RNA, Ribosomes, and Machine Learning. So um, you can learn about it there. But yes, Joseph is sort of our pseudo expert, quote unquote. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah. I, I t- <laughs> <laughs> Big sigh from Joseph. Sigh. <laughs> well, you know more about um, AI systems, um, at least the inner workings, than I do. So <laughs> definitely, yeah, um, yeah. I, I joke, but I, I really do work in quite a close area. Well, like I basically have more or less an understanding of the computational methods that are used, but then there's like a big quantitative and qualitative difference that happens when you scale up these systems. So the company that developed ChatGPT is called OpenAI. It's now kind of a semi-subsidiary of Microsoft. Mm. Um, Very well funded. A lot of big name Mm. investors like Elon Musk was one of the original Mm. investors. Um, And some big names from the research side working there. But basically, like these these big corporate labs have a lot of resources, and so when you just throw a lot of computing power at the the systems that I know, they become a lot better and a lot more, you know, passable mm-hmm. as something approximating speech mm-hmm. and something that like any old person can use, basically yeah. in a very easy, user friendly way. Definitely, yeah. It's funny because being adjacent to the field, you, I've we've been, I've been aware of stuff like this for a while, and then over the summer, it seems, or the fall, whenever that was, mm-hmm. when the demo of ChatGPT opened, it really, like, it was a, a news item in short order. Yeah, I yeah, and I think people, yeah, I mean, it just exploded, and I think people are using it. A lot, myself included mm-hmm. now, although I was a skeptic at first, um, which we can get into. But before we get um, sort of into all that, can you, is there a way to succinctly explain sort of how ChatGPT is working? Um, where is it pulling its information mm-hmm. from? Yeah, give us kind of the lowdown there. Yeah, so ChatGPT is an instance of what's, or the, the underlying technology would be called a large language model. Mm. Um, you'll see it abbreviated as LLM. Um, and a language model is kind of what it sounds like. It is um, kind of, it's modeling in the name. Uh, you're trying to reproduce the patterns of written language. Mm. So given a lot of text, what you're going to do is learn about the distribution of words within text. Mm. Um, so if you, you know, if you think about reading a newspaper or something, reading a sentence, um, a lot of what's, what's going on cognitively is you are understanding words in context. Like um, a word might have a particular, belong to a particular part of speech. It might be a noun, a verb, um, 
It might be referring to someone famous. Mm. It might be referring to a place. Um, and so there's a, a lot of sub conscious things that are going on as you're reading that paper or that, that text um, in order for you to understand what's going on. Um, and so, and there's an insight behind that, which is that human written language is going to have a lot of patterns. Mm -hmm. Like you're never, um, in English, you're, you're never going to see particular, particular sentences. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like starting with a verb, for starting example. With a verb, yeah. 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 So different languages have different subject verb or, uh, object orderings. Yeah. Like we don't talk like Yoda talking. Joseph no, was on no. radio. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. So kind of the ordering of words mm -hmm. and the, the words that co-occur with each other carries a lot of meaning. Mm hmm in what language ultimately is. So that's mm. what the idea of a language model is, is to build up a predictive model that can reproduce some of the patterns of large, large amounts of text. Mm -hmm. And more specifically, what LLMs do is they're trained on pretty much the entire internet. internet. Wow. <laughs> um, so it's billions and billions of words. Mm -hmm. um, and the task that they are trained to do, we can get into more what, what training means, but at a high level, what they're trying to do is predict the next word given previous words. Mm. So, you know, if you have the sentence, I went to the store to buy some milk, milk is a <laughs> very sensible thing to, to fill in mm -hmm. and not so sensible thing to fill in might be to buy some Record players. Some record players. Yeah, I mean, that's maybe you were going to a record store. Oh, so that's, okay. No, 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 no. That's, that's a good example <laughs> because that's, that's like something that those distinctions, like milk is mm. certainly more plausible than record player. Mm. Record player is still somewhat plausible, but to buy some uh, unicorns is oh, probably okay, not, okay. <laughs> is probably yeah. a much or even less. passports, for passports. example. Passports, yep, to buy some yep, passports. Yep. So yeah, even there. I like that. We came up with kind of like a descending order mm, of, mm -hmm. of the words that most would make sense in that context. Right. We're also like, had there been more specificity, uh, specificity about mm -hmm. like what kind of store, like when right. you first said store, I, my mind went to grocery store, mm -hmm. which maybe mm -hmm. is like the first store we would think of, but yeah, record players you can get at a record store or at a music store. Yep. So yeah. yeah. So adding that, those levels of specificity. And yeah. That's a perfect example of like how, an assumption you made correctly. I was also thinking of a grocery store. Mm, I didn't mm -hmm. say that. Mm -hmm. um, and, and you assumed I was thinking of a grocery store. Mm -hmm. And so there was kind of this, we're using our knowledge or like kind of background knowledge as humans to complete text. Mm -hmm. And so by analogy, this is what large language models do is they, they scan large portions of the internet and then you, you say, all right, we would, we would kind of give them that, that prefix string of, uh, I went to the store to buy some. Mm -hmm. And then we would say, can you learn to produce sensible completions for that? Mm -hmm. So to describe how that, that training process might work, imagine that you kind of initialize 
a model to a very dumb setting. And like it, it says something like unicorns or it says just the word the because that's a common word mm. or, it, or it says something like that. We would then penalize the model mm. mathematically for saying the. I went to the store to buy some the. Makes no sense no. in English. Mm. Um, and so the model consists of these kind of mathematical weights that you can think of as like knobs. Mm. And so if we see it say something nonsensical like the, you kind of tweak the knob in one direction. Mm bring down the probability of saying that, mm. bring up the probability of saying something else. Mm. So at huge scale, that's what large language models are doing. Mm. So I immediately, as you were explaining that, I uh, my mind went to, so I guess to, to jump right in as me as a user, um, I have heard this from a lot of my friends who have used it, but also it explicitly says it on the website at the very bottom, ChatGPT may produce inaccurate information about mm -hmm. people, places, or facts. And it doesn't even just seem like it's pulling inaccurately. It's just like making things up. And is I, I guess it's like, why, why is it not programmed to just say, I don't know, or I can't find a source for that rat, but it, it just like makes things mm -hmm. up. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, sources yeah. about like gray whale papers. It'll just make up to to put in a source somewhere. So I think that's really an artifact of that way that it's trained. It was strictly trained to predict the next word. Mm. And so if you were prompting it with something about your research, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. gray whale, something foraging about the ecology, foraging, yeah. <laughs> a very plausible sounding thing to occur in that context would be a paper about that. Mm. So it knows mm -hmm. generally the topic you're talking about and it knows that in a lot of contexts, what should be there is, you know, a citation to something. Um, so it just invents one mm. and it, it's not like a conscious decision to check. So even if it, if so in those instances where it gets a citation correctly, um, it, mm -hmm. it, it does happen. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Uh, it'll say, it'll put out a paper that does exist. Mm -hmm. That's also kind of accidental. Um, it's not, mm. it's not, um, going to like some table looking up, Oh, these are, a, these are the papers I know about. It's kind of just assembling it one by one because it has come across that paper in its training data. Mm, gotcha. And so, in the absence of that, it'll just string together things that sound like mm. things in, in its training data. Words that make sense based on how it was trained. And so I've, I've been hearing this. Um, I heard this from somebody that the current like version of ChatGPT was only trained on like basically the Internet until 2021. Mm -hmm. Is that, So how come how come it can't be like continual? Like why can't it be constantly updating? Can we not, or, or is it not like it's training and learning in the background, but also get giving us outputs to our inputs at the, like yeah, can it not do those question. two things at the same time? Sorry if I've over asked. No, I guess no, we should that say sense. that <laughs> we were going to say this at the very beginning of, and we forgot, but just a general disclaimer to this show that this is a little bit, you know, just like, yeah, freewheeling. Yes. Freewheeling. Um, 
asking questions that we have heard from a lot of our friends um, and colleagues, but for the most part, our own thoughts and opinions. Yeah. Joseph's are a little more informed than mine. <laughs> a little bit, but yeah. yeah. So, I mean, as we're talking right now, I, I'm fairly confident in what I'm saying, but I think as we get <laughs> further in, into the topic, it'll, you know, everyone's allowed to have an opinion about this. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> And I'm and, interested to hear and yours. So that's so. <laughs> what we're, that we'll move more towards is like just our, our thoughts. Um, but yeah, you asked about why does it not continually update? Yeah. Um, in principle, it kind of, it could, mm. it's kind of just a, it's a technical problem basically. Okay. Like, so, um, just in the details of, of how these things are trained, they, t- they tend to forget things. Oh. So if you, the, the way that, so the way that these models exist, mm-hmm. they, they, kind of exist in storage as in this case, probably gigabyte, probably terabytes of, of trained weights and weights mm, are mm-hmm. what I was referring to as kind of like those knobs that the penalization. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- they'll be sitting somewhere on a hard, on a storage drive and it'll get loaded up into the program and it'll ask it a new, anytime you want to ask a question, mm-hmm. you're accessing a new prediction from those weights. And so it's just a known problem that if you are trying to take those weights and add to them in the way that you originally built them up, mm-hmm. it can kind of cause it to do worse on the things that it already knows. Mm. So it's better to kind of have like a, a defined time where you're you're training on everything all at once mm. versus you're like incrementally adding gotcha. updates to it. Gotcha. So then in these, this has happened to me and to other people, um, like there's a back and forth, you know, conversation, mm-hmm. I guess, um, with ChatGPT and ChatGPT gets something wrong. So for example, it it names a source that doesn't exist. And then if I tell it, that's a fake source. That's not real. Does chat GPT then basically learn that? And will it not use that again? Or will it, is there still a possibility of someone else ask the same question two days later, chat GPT might generate the same fake source. Yeah. Um, so it does not learn it mm. in a persistent way. Gotcha. Like your feedback to it, it doesn't. Is, no, oh, it may help you, even though it's so, thanked so th- me. So it's yes and no. <laughs> so that's yeah. It's a yes and no answer. Mm. So it, it kind of does perform a type of learning, um, within your own conversation, like your your feedback. Right. It seems it's so it's kind of a phenomenon called in context learning. Mm. Is is the the name we've come up for this phenomenon? Um, the, so the back and forth that you have with it kind of updates some sort of temporary, call it like working memory that it has. Mm -hmm. Um, but it does not get like absorbed into the model itself and then passed on to future users. So it's like, when you're saying, oh, you, you made up a source, oh, you, you missed a bracket in your code. Mm-hmm. 
um, it's it's updating like a very limited set of memory that ChatGPT is using just for your conversation. Mm. So it it can kind of improve for me as a personal for you user. as a personal user, mm-hmm. but then it does not get yeah mm. persisted over time. Gotcha. Do you use ChatGPT? I do. Yeah, um, I, not as much lately. I, I mean, I was very very fascinated at when it first came out in the summer. In the like summer, summer, showing mm-hmm. everybody showing my parents um like more for like fun thing like to be like look we can ask it anything we can ask it anything and then it was a cool illustration of like you know the perpetual (laughs) thing of explaining to your parents what you do oh uh (laughs) (laughs) it's not quite what i do but it's it's like a very real Mm. demo of what the capabilities Mm -hmm. of some systems are Mm -hmm. um and i i mean i still use it from time to time you know sometimes when you're you have like a really, really thing, something you don't know how to Google mm-hmm. and you don't know, you're not quite finding the results you want. Mm-hmm. Chat GPT is a great place to go for that with all of the caveats we say of, mm. you know, it can make things up, mm. uh, but it's like a, it's like a good starter mm. for a lot of conversations. I, I know you were telling me you sometimes use it for, for coding? I use it predominantly for coding. Yeah. Which I know when we first talked about it, you were a little, you were like, Oh, not for writing. And this is where maybe we can talk a little bit about the ethics of it. Although I Mm -hmm. think that that's such a like black hole (laughs) that we could fall into, but I don't know, to me using it for coding because a lot, like a lot of, you know, coding language is also just that it's a language it exists in different packages that you know that that I would be using anyway just if I coded it myself but Mm -hmm. ChatGPT is just able to like produce things faster Mm -hmm. get to errorless code quicker than I can you know rather than yeah me spending hours on stack overflow yeah I'm just like hey ChatGPT I want to do this specific thing sometimes I even give it code and I'm like it's not quite working. Why not? And then it spits something back at me. Whereas with the writing, I don't know. I feel, I feel it's a little more dicey with like, you know, and and I've had conversations about this with friends and with other colleagues and, you know, some people that I've talked to, they know people who are like using chat GPT to help them write papers. And I just, I don't know. I don't know why I have this hurdle of, um, seeing that as I would see that sort of as plagiarism. I don't know. I, I guess maybe now that I've talked to you and learning that it's more, uh, it, that it is this, that I guess being reminded that it is this, um, language learning model Mm -hmm. that it's just stringing together words that make sense based on all this language that it's learned and the penalizations and the weighting. But for some reason, it seems kind of wrong to me to be like, hey, ChatGPT, I did a project where we were investigating this. We found this. Write me a paper or mm-hmm, write me an mm-hmm. outline. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's a barrier to me. How do you feel about that? that? Yeah, that, that makes some sense to me. Um, I definitely can relate to the idea. Maybe some of it is that like coding seems like a very you know, goal oriented thing. You like, mm-hmm. you have a specific thing you want and sometimes it doesn't even matter how the code gets, gets you there. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
if if something can come in and, and shortcut that process, that's always going to be helpful. Whereas writing maybe feels like more of a creative, like a creative mm-hmm. thing mm-hmm. In, in its own right. Yeah, I think so. And I guess, my, so my, my advisor, she um, did a couple of like, she has a, I think a 12 year old or 13 year old son, maybe older. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, Avery. <laughs> um, but they did a couple of experiments where they would like ask questions about several different topics and, you know, chat GPT would give a response and they could see after like four or five that the responses are all, there's like a very similar skeleton it uses, you know, yeah, it's like yeah. a topic sentence and then there's like two in depth sentences and then there's like a concluding sentence. And, my advisor was just like, it was so clear. Um, you you could hear in the voice of, of it that it wasn't like a real, hu- and I've heard this right. from a lot of people. Yeah. It just doesn't sound like a real person sometimes. Um, it sounds a little formulaic. It yeah. sounds like it was, yeah, it's like writing like a high school pa- five paragraph essay where it's right. like adhering to very clear yeah. patterns. Yeah. Your topic sentence. And yeah. then you go a little deeper and then you give three examples and then you're conclude. Yeah. And it's like technically good structure, but it right. doesn't read like something you would want to read. Yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah. And I don't know, do I then, I mean, do I then have to like, is ChatGPT a co-author with me on my paper? I mean, if they wrote it, uh, I say no, no, I say no. Um, <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, I get what you're saying about the, it feels like a different line to be using it for Mm -hmm. text over code, but so yeah, on the, on the one hand, the capabilities of chat GPT are the way that they are because they were trained on somebody else's writing basically. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's, you, I mean, you have to acknowledge that. Mm hmm part of the pipeline. Mm -hmm. But then when you do go to use it, it's not necessarily just copying what it was learned on. Mm, So I think if there's some uncertainty about the, yeah, if it it feels like a slightly ickier, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, But I do, I do think it's, yeah, it's not strictly just copying things, um, mm. but everything you say about it being a little more boring to read, I think I've experienced that as well. Yeah, we recently in in my lab meeting, we we kind of talked a little bit about like ethics and science, mm-hmm. and it was sort of centered around, in part, like ChatGPT, these AI softwares, and we read an article. I don't remember the name of the scientist now, but it was a chemist in Spain who was like, he's like one of the most prolific Mm -hmm. published scientists in the world. Um, And this article was written in March or early April or something. And he had averaged a paper every like 28 hours or something. Do you know who I'm talking about? No, I don't know who you're talking about. I saw some other deadline that was like, people noticed that this guy published 120 papers in the last year. Yeah, yeah, that's probably him or something yeah. or some yeah. And and in he's quoted in this article as saying, you know, now with ChatGPT rather than a paper taking me 3 to 4 days to write, I can write it in a day. And it's like dang, okay. Should I be using ChatGPT like that? Yeah. I don't know. Um 
but I don't, then we got into this whole discussion of like, is this person, how can this person be involved in like every single, I, it, it just seems unfathomable that you have a paper published every 28 yeah, that- hours. And and then we also talked about how like in chemistry, perhaps it's a little different. Like if you're writing these short, I don't know, sort of shorter notes about compounds or something. I don't know. No offense to the chemists. I'm not, I'm not saying that it's easy work, but we, but we just wondered about like, I mean, each of these papers, if they really are coming out every 28 hours, can't be like, they can't possibly be like a study that was conducted over some, anyway, I don't know. To me, the writing part of research is actually such a small portion. It's, it's like the knowing what to write and doing the studies that are going to be the content for like, cause even if you were to think about how you would use jet chat GPT for writing a paper, mm-hmm. it's like, you do have to say, these are our results. Mm-hmm. We tried this. Mm-hmm. Blah, blah. So it's like that effort is, is almost all the way there towards the writing of the paper. Mm. I think. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Maybe he just provides, maybe you just provide an outline and then it fills in, in a mm. very formulaic way. Or you have like a formulaic skeleton from ChatGPT, and then you just populate, you know, the numbers or the. I, I, so it I'm wasn't not being sure. presented as like this person was committing fraud or anything. Um, well, he he, this person did end up. Um, gosh, I can't remember now if it was about the the whole article was more about how it seemed like he was affiliating himself with lots and lots of institutions and basically getting paid by these institutions to like put himself and others on studies. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so his, like his home institution, which is in Spain, I think put him on like probation for 10 years. Um, yeah, Which, so probably and that not a, was like the whole thing was about. No, 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 not at all. Um, but in here it was mentioned that like, <laughs> well, we're getting way into the weeds here, and I wish I would have reread this article before this interview. Um, but no, but it is along those. I, I, I don't know. It's like the you know. I mean, a lot of our a lot of academia, right? There's there's this um, phrase. Um, publish or perish. Right. Right. I mean, it's like so much in academia is built on. You need to publish in order to have a track record in order to prove to funders that you can do good research and to get money, um, to get positioned somewhere, but there's so much pressure and it's sometimes so hard to get studies done and then published, um, that, you know, I guess, yeah, it's, it's this question of, do you speed up the whole process by having a bot write your paper for you? And then you can, you know, pump out papers quicker and then you're publishing more while others are perishing because it's mm-hmm. taking them longer. I don't know. It's, yeah, it's I, dicey. <laughs> I think if, I think if it's that, if you're able to accelerate your publications that much by using this the software, something else is going it's, wrong in yeah, your, you're, yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, that the, that the actual science inside the papers still should be taking. Mm-hmm. A, a, it's kind of like the last of mile yeah. of predifying your results for the audience is mm-hmm. like where it might be useful. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So, but it's cool to hear about how you were using it for code because mm-hmm. I've, I, and I'm wondering if maybe the reason why it can, it can be seen as so helpful for that is like 
you, yeah, so you mentioned Stack Overflow. If for if like the listeners aren't familiar, it's like a very common forum for getting coding advice. Mm-hmm. And so sh- ChatGPT was surely trained on Stack Overflow mm. itself. And so I wonder if like it's it's usefulness for that is because mm. it has like Stack Overflow is intended as people transferring knowledge, mm-hmm. demonstrating their work to other humans. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if it's kind of those results are better than just training on all of Wikipedia, which is, is mm. just, mm-hmm. you know, it, it doesn't have as much of a instructional. Right. Or, or step like, by step kind yeah. of ethos yeah. as Stack Overflow does. And no, I mean, and the interest, the, the sort of great thing about Stack Overflow too, is that like, it's a, th- it's a thread. And so sometimes to one question, you'll get five answers because mm-hmm. there are five ways to code something with different packages and whatnot. Um, and so, yeah, that's also cool. It's like, oh, is it, yeah, I guess if chat GPT was trained on stack overflow, that's so interesting. It has all of these different options, um, to use. Um, and actually to segue, um, I asked some of my friends Mm -hmm. whether there were any questions they had for, um, my co-host Joseph, the expert, (laughs) um, and one question, thanks Clara Bird and Susie Winquist, um, was, um, was about whether or not ChatGPT learned the language of R or did it pull, is it pulling code from different source code or like, yeah, learning from Stack Overflow, as you just said, or did it like, you know, read through, you know, package manuals of different R packages? Like where did it learn how to code in R? So it probably had access to all of Stack Overflow, mm-hmm. all of GitHub, mm. which is um, where p- people post their full source code, basically. Yeah, like code repository. Code repository. So Stack Overflow is more oriented towards teaching other people, asking questions. So it's like a it's usually smaller slices of code, code, but then GitHub would be like your entire thing. Mm. Um so it, it would have access to all of that, but it, it still will very much be a learn by doing or like by reproducing the structure of R mm-hmm. again and again and again is how it learns R. It doesn't it doesn't read the manual of R like it could. It could read the mm-hmm. R manual, mm-hmm. but that's not it wouldn't really help it learn. I don't think mm. it would just that would be more like a that would help its its reading capabilities mm. rather than its R capabilities, if that makes sense. Mm. And so that would only come by, by, you know, the thing that every, everything else gets its information from, which is that next word task of like, oh, it'll see, mm. oh, um, arrows mean this thing um, because we've seen it so many times mm. um, in R. Can I ask you another question? Yeah. From, <laughs> um, so another question that my friend Susie had um, was um, she mentioned, and I hadn't heard about this, but ChatGPT dropped a new tool called Code Interpreter. Hmm. Have you heard of this? I have not. Okay. Um, well, then maybe this question is superfluous, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask it anyway. Um, she basically said it's where you can like upload your files, like your data frames, to code interpreter and it does analysis it makes plots um and Susie was wondering like how what is this thing and how does it work because basically with ChatGPT 
we, the users, are still in control, right? Mm -hmm. We don't upload anything. We sort of describe what we want, what we need, and ChatGPT gives us an answer without actually manipulating anything we give it, you know, like a data frame or data. So I don't know that plugin specifically, but how I imagine that would work is that in that instance, it actually would have access to the R language. Like it would have, it would be given separately from its ability to predict what to say. Mm. It would be kind of given like its own, like kind of virtual keyboard to say, um, and then you would, you would give it like a access to the R runtime or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then it would be able to not just tell you what it was going to happen, but it would be able to like actually write the the code, which would then get run mm. to accomplish the task. Mm. So it would be kind of ChatGPT cutting out the middleman of, right. of you. <laughs> you going back to R and plugging it in yeah. and then coming back and saying, it didn't work. Yeah. yeah. Huh. Yeah, I don't know. She She just seemed like it's... She was like, it seems more blind, this experience versus ChatGPT. Does it work she, pretty well? She hasn't used it yet. Okay. <laughs> um, I would be curious to see how well that would work because okay. I'd imagine it would have a lot of the same problems that just asking it for code would have. Like, mm-hmm. But probably it was, I think it's one of these like external plugins that some other company took the basic ChatGPT and was able to like layer on this next layer. So mm. maybe it they kind of kind of like tune it nicely for that task. Mm. So another, so Susie, um, like myself, we're users of ChatGPT. Um, my other friend, Clara Bird, is a big coder herself, and she so far has refrained mm-hmm. from, from touching it. Um, she's sort of in the camp of, I will be obsolete. <laughs> <laughs> if um, Because so far, a lot of us have gone to her for coding help, and now we bother her less, which I actually think is a good thing. Mm. She has more time for herself. But her, she doesn't see it that way? No. <laughs> Maybe a little bit. Um, but she she just wanted to hear your thoughts on ChatGPT in general, and she wondered how crazy you think it's going to get. Um, sort of along the lines of, like, in education, you know, we're all sort of trying to adapt to it. You know, I think we um, we've read a lot of stories of like teachers in schools who now assign their students to act, ask ChatGPT to write an essay and then critique ChatGPT's essay type mm-hmm. thing. Um, yeah, those were she just generally was like curious to hear about someone who's sort of in the AI realm. Mm-hmm. Um, where what is you, the future? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I would say that if you ask like 50 different researchers in the area, you'll get 50 different answers Mm. really because there's such a spectrum of people's beliefs in the current technology is one thing beliefs in how it will evolve in the next couple of years. So, so, you know, there's, there's a point of view that is kind of even these, technologies that we've been talking about that like seem very impressive in, in certain ways, it's all kind of meh Mm. to to some people, um, in, in like computational linguistics, Mm -hmm. um, people who were kind of working on language before 
these powerful AI systems were possible to build. Mm. Um, because it, because of what I, what we laid out of like, it's just predicting the next word. It's just mm. predicting the next word. It's kind of blindly doing these things. Mm-hmm. So how could it ever really be doing much beyond that? Mm-hmm. And then there's like kind of people who are very hype about AI and it's going to, it's going to take off and it's going to like, you're going to get AIs that continually improve themselves. Mm. Um, and so there's a, like a wide range of opinions. I'm kind of like, mm, I guess I'm sort of like in the in the middle there. Mm, I okay. think that like, I do think that the specific technologies of like training on the whole internet, making bigger, bigger models mm-hmm. is close to at its peak of like how much better you can get by just doing that over and over again. Mm. Um, like, I, so even the, comp- even the CEO of OpenAI has said something to that effect. And, you, you know, they have their incentives to not necessarily say what they're thinking all the time, but he, I, th- I think, said that kind of their chat GPT-5 is not going to be like just doing chat GPT-4 10 times bigger, which is mm. kind of what chat GPT-4 was above chat GPT-3. Like it was mm. just strictly training on more of the internet, mm-hmm. training bigger models. Mm-hmm. And so I think we're close to like the diminishing returns for that. Gotcha. And that, which is not to say that it, we're, we're going to stop getting better. It's just that other, other aspects of the problem beyond this scale issue mm-hmm. are going to start to matter. Mm. Um, and in, in me saying that that's kind of me outside of my realm of expertise because mm-hmm. like there are, this is like a big technical debate of like whether scale is all you need is, mm. is like a big, it's like a big question. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, as far as like the societal effects, I think they'll kind of be downstream of, of that, of mm-hmm. those capabilities. Like if, um, if it really does become the case that they're trustworthy to deploy code without human supervision, then mm. like that's a different matter than, what it is right now where I, I I still think that right now it's a force multiplier kind of like mm-hmm. I, I do use ChatGPT for coding. Um, GitHub Copilot is another one that's more like integrated into your, your coding editor. Um, I, I think it increases productivity right now, but that's yeah. because it's, it it's still part of a human workflow. Mm. And, you know. Yeah. I agree with you. I don't think it's at a point where it doesn't need human supervision because mm-hmm. it's definitely not been perfect for me with the code. It's like made mistakes, like things that were just not correct where then I corrected. And you it. know, maybe that's a sweet spot to be at. Yeah. I mean, in terms I, of everybody being happy with, yeah. Yeah. There's still like, you still need to sort of understand what it's doing in order for it to work well for you. Yeah. 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 So you're still going through the process of learning. You're yeah. still, and yeah, it gets back to what I was saying about the writing or like the, when we were talking about the scientist who produces all those papers, like mm. you still need to like know what the papers are going to be about. Yeah. You still need to know what you want to code. Right. And I feel like that's never going to be, you can't delegate <laughs> you cannot, that yeah, right. to deciding what to make right. to a machine yeah. in my view. Yeah. And the machine can't do all the science for you. Like this language, language you. model can't, can't do that. Yeah. Can't run your wet lab experience. It can't. <laughs> Yeah, but can it make up data and results? Oh yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Oh well, there you go. Yeah, 
Oh no! Don't do it, people! Don't data, do it! No, no, I'm sure they already are. Yeah, bad. Don't yeah. do that. No, you'll don't get caught. That. Like the you'll scientist did. Yeah, um, I think we're slowly getting to the end of the show. Mm-hmm. Are, are there any closing words um, that you want to want to say, Joseph? I don't think so. I think you just have to be open minded about where it's going. Like as I said, um, it, a lot could change. Yeah, and then we're kind of just at the beginning of it. I think so. I'll leave you with that. Wow. <laughs> slightly daunting, slightly hopeful. No, I, I, I'm in it because I think it's a, a powerful technology. Mm-hmm. Like, so in biology, the stuff that we're doing, like to design new proteins, to design RNAs is kind of like the, the air, drugs um, is kind of the area that I'm generally interested in. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that stuff just like wouldn't, work as well i mm. think if you weren't doing AI, mm-hmm. it, this search space for a protein is so massive that you'll just never you'll never cut it down otherwise and mm. you need some of these like decision making stuff to make progress and these are things that like lead to therapies whatever yeah um so i i i mean it because i think it's important in, in and, areas like that yeah and powerful and useful in yeah. many ways yeah well, just because we don't have a guest um, tonight doesn't mean that we won't be able to do our traditions. Um, so I actually asked ChatGPT, what advice would you give to people listening to a radio show called Inspiration Dissemination, a show made by graduate students at Oregon State University? And it gave me a long list of advice. So <laughs> listen up, uh, listeners. This is what ChatGPT is advising you to do to enhance your experience and make the most out of listening to our show. Actively listen, embrace diverse perspectives, participate and ask questions. Mm, Sorry, we don't allow you to do that. (laughs) Take notes and follow up, connect with the community, provide feedback. Ooh, you know, we don't have, yeah, why not? Send us an email. Tell us, us, yeah. Yeah. Tell us if you liked us, rate us on on Apple Podcasts. (laughs) Give us five stars. Isn't that what podcasters yes. always say? Yeah, that makes me feel like a real <laughs> podcaster. Um, but yes, our, our website is blogs.oregonstate.edu uh, slash inspiration. <laughs> um, share and discuss, explore related topics, stay updated, and express gratitude. Remember, inspiration dissemination is an opportunity to learn, be inspired, and engage with a community of graduate students. Enjoy this show, embrace the knowledge shared, and take advantage of the resources and connections it offers. Wow. Thanks, ChatGPT. Thanks, ChatGPT. A little generic, but very inspiring. <laughs> a little bit love, laugh, love. But a little we'll... bit love, laugh, love. Um, and the other tradition, which we are going to uh, stick true to, is um, picking an outro song. This one is picked by Joseph. Do you want to tell us about it? Yeah. Um, it's called Technologic by Daft Punk, who Ooh. everybody should know. Just kind of going with a futuristic robot-y vibe. Mm-hmm. Um and listen to the lyrics listen to the lyrics yeah. i think it i think it'll make sense yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but with that um we're gonna leave you with that for this week thanks for tuning in yeah play around with chachi pt but not not too much don't make data write it like it play it burn it rip it drag it drop it zip unzip it lock it fill it curl it find it view it code it jump and lock it surf it scroll it pose it pick it cross it crack it twitch update it name it read it tune it print it scan it send it fax me name it 
Thank you for listening. If you want to support the show, tell your friends about it and give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at KBVRID. The theme music was performed by the OSU Drumline and the intro jingle was created by Olin Hamat. Special thanks to the supporting staff at KBVR that allow the show and podcast to be possible. This show was started by Jean Kamvar and Joey Holbert in 2012. To learn about our current hosts, other graduate students at Oregon State, or if you want to be part of the show, visit our website at blogs.oregonstate.edu slash inspiration. Thanks again for listening and stay curious, my friends.